0: Well, friends, if you'd like to uh, open up, uh, have your Bibles open to Ruth chapter 1, and we'll begin our look uh, at this this book as we consider um, COVID-19 and uh, clinging to Jesus amidst the changes that we face. That's our series. Uh, Kids can be grumpy in the morning. You've tried reasoning with them. You've tried disciplining them. You've tried uh, showing them good books that talk about positive attitudes and their impact on a good start to the morning. None of that seems to work. That is until you realise you haven't fed them yet. Just a bowl of cereal and they're instantly healed of all their grumpiness. You see, the problem is a food problem. Even though the symptoms come across as emotional, no amount of emotional support is going to treat their physical hunger. Now, you know, the same goes for emotional and spiritual issues. You see, for example, treating emotional issues with physical treatment, say like overeating, it doesn't solve anything. You see, friends, it shows us that different issues require different treatments. Well, friends, today we're going to see a famine, a lack of food in this passage. But it's not simply a physical famine that a bit of food is going to fix in the passage. No. In Ruth chapter 1, we're introduced to a family, uh, could we say, in the midst of three famines. In the talk today, in Ruth 1, we're going to see a physical famine, but also a spiritual famine... And then also, I'd say, an emotional or a, actually a relational famine. A family in the midst of three famines, actually. Physical, spiritual, relational. So first, uh, let's have a look at the text, at the physical famine. So Ruth takes place in the time of Judges. Uh, which is code for the fact that Israel had no king and everyone did as they saw fit, as it tells us in Judges 21 verse 25. You see, this is the immediate context of the book of Ruth. It's taking place in the time of the Judges. Now enter the patriarch of the story, Elimelech. Elimelech's name in Hebrew means, my God is king. It's interesting, isn't it? Hebrew names often carried connotations of someone's beliefs or convictions, which is ironic here. It's who Elimelech was meant to be, a man who thought, my God is king. Now, remember the story in the time of the Judges. Remember the book of Judges and the wicked cycles of sin that repeat and repeat in the book of Judges. Do you know how the the cycles go of the stories in the book of Judges? Well, it's a bit like this. Israel will sin against God, and then God judges them, usually through the other nations in his judgment. And then Israel cries out to God, and then God sends a deliverer, a judge, like Samson or Gideon, to save them. Then there's a time of relative peace. And then we repeat that process over and over and over again in the book of Judges until uh, we get to the book of Ruth in the Bible. So what's happening in our text in Ruth chapter 1? Well, there was a famine in the land. And in the context of Judges, it could be seen as a judgment event. And so rather than crying out to God, Elimelech runs to Moab. Now, what is the significance of the nation Moab? Well, Moab have a sordid history with Israel. They were excluded from worship in the temple in Deuteronomy 23. The nation Moab was also the product of incest. When Lot's daughters sought to maintain the family line through their father... In Genesis 19. That's how Moab began. The Moabites also led the Israelites away from the Lord in Numbers 25 toward pagan gods and also, also the Moabites had human sacrifices as part of their custom, a horrible practice which you can see in 2 Kings chapter 3. Now let's just think about it for a moment. If Elimelech had listened to his name, My God is King, he would have been reminded that God is King. You see, in general, Israel's refusal to acknowledge God's kingship was their biggest problem. God is the one who provides, God is the one who had brought them out of Egypt and fed them with bread in the wilderness. Perhaps if Elimelech had reflected on Bethlehem's Hebrew name, which means the house of bread, in fact, he would have remembered that God is the one who feeds his people. But he didn't. He didn't. He used human wisdom and moved away from God, taking his family away from the blessings of God to a foreign land. Well, so what? So, what does this mean for us? Well, friends, when under pressure, invariably we can either apply God's wisdom or human wisdom. When under pressure, we can apply God's wisdom or we can apply human wisdom. It's not always cut and dry, but instinctively, as the pressure builds, we should be leaning in to God rather than seeking solutions outside of him. So where, where is it in your life that this truth applies? How can you lean into God more and trust in God's wisdom more in your life? As the pressure builds, we should be leaning into God rather than seeking solutions outside of him. Well, friends, so often our problems are physical in nature, but this passage treats the spiritual famine as well. See, we've seen a physical famine, but there's also a spiritual famine in verses 1 and 2. How is this so? Well, friends, Elimelech leaving Bethlehem means leaving behind support structures, community, home, family and the presence of God all for the sake of some food. As I mentioned, Bethlehem uh, means the house of bread. And actually the word Epathrites, the clan, means fruitful. And yet, and yet in this story, they leave their spiritual and physical home in search of sustenance outside of God's land. You know, as Elimelech and his two sons arrive in Moab, As Israelites, they should have been set apart from the nations. However, the sons intermarry in verse 4. Likely, they assimilated to Moabite culture. You see, at the time, there is a spiritual famine in Israel. Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. That's the last verse of Judges. Rather than turning to God, they turn to a human solution. This is exactly what Elimelech and his family did by going to Moab. What's an example of this? Well, it's a bit like children being hangry in the morning. You know, hangry is um, you're angry when you're really hungry. You see, they throw tantrums they get upset when all they need is a bowl of cereal, a piece of fruit or some toast or something. And so we treat the problem and not the symptoms. If we try to discipline a toddler and send them to their room to think about what they've done without feeding them, then we are never going to get to the root cause of the issue. You see, it's the same with this passage. We need to make sure that we are treating the right problem. You see, we need to recognise that perhaps all too often we might treat our spiritual famine with the physical instead. Perhaps we're lonely and so we eat too much food. Perhaps we're feeling spiritually undernourished and so we lean into our friends. Friends, these problematic solutions would be a bit like If we had a broken leg and we tried to treat it with a warm bath, it's not going to work. You see, failing to recognize the root of the problem leads to misdiagnosis and mistreatment. And the problem is never going to get any better. Spiritual famine requires spiritual food. So what should we do about this? Well, friends, don't neglect your spiritual disciplines because you're tired or hungry. Nourish the soul, not just the body and the mind. We need to equip ourselves in these spiritual disciplines by making sure we come to church, watching church on Sundays, by making sure we're reading the Bible ourselves and praying to God in a loving relationship Maybe even taking times just to meditate on God's word, to think about truths of God, taking times in silence and solitude and retreat to reflect on God and be with him. We must nourish the soul and not neglect the spiritual disciplines. And we understand just like the toddler gets ratty when they're hungry, that we too might display physical or emotional symptoms when we actually have a spiritual problem. Our physical, spiritual and emotional needs are interconnected and we must make sure we don't confuse them when we're trying to fix the issues. So friends, the spiritual famine needs to be treated but also so does the emotional or the relational famine, as I've called it here. Physical, spiritual, and now relational. There is a relational famine of sorts uh, in this passage as well, in verses 3 to 5. So what's this all about? Well, Naomi and Ruth and Orpah are left as widows. Naomi is a misplaced person who has missed the warning signs and misses the blessing of God. See uh, the curse that she calls upon the Lord in chapter 1, verse 20. Naomi finds herself with no means of support in a foreign land. It is 10 years of disconnection with her land and her people. She is hungry, lonely. Naomi is mourning the loss of her family. And she's now all alone. So the pragmatic decisions of her husband have led to this emotional or relational famine. As we'll see over the coming weeks and next week, Naomi is bitter, empty and afflicted. She is suffering tremendous hardship. Just think about what this would have been like for her. Imagine losing everything something uh, some of us don't have to imagine very hard. But let us put ourselves in Naomi's shoes, wrestling with the choices that you and your husband have made, choosing to leave the land God had provided to pursue food in Moab. It's a completely defensible decision at a human level. After all, we need to feed our family. And what is more primal than defending the lives of our kids and our family? But just imagine reflecting on that decision after your husband and your children had died. Imagine not only losing everything, but having two dependents to care for, like Ruth and Orpah, but nothing to provide for them. The loneliness would be immense. The regret would be immense. Imagine what would have been if you'd just stayed in Bethlehem. You see, friends, the emotional impact of our decisions should not be understated. You see, when we sin, not only do we create a spiritual problem between ourselves and God, but also a relational one. Also, this shows us that our sins can have emotional impacts on others, including the next generation. See, friends, the decisions that we make have an impact on those around us. Elimelech's decision changed the course of six lives, not just one. So understand that the famine that we confront here in Naomi's life, the relational famine, is not just a quick fix. It's deep emotional issues. It's complex and it's intergenerational. Consider how your decisions affect the relationships around you. Consider the emotional pain that we can inflict on ourselves with bad decisions. We see a physical famine, a spiritual famine, a relational or emotional famine. Friends, in the text today we see the consequences of these famines. All too often when confronted with similar things, be it physical, spiritual, relational or emotional, we make the same mistakes. We treat the physical problems before the emotional and then the spiritual. But is there another way to do this? Friends, now we know We know that our biggest problem in eternity is a spiritual problem, the problem of sin. We will all be confronted with these problems in our life, physical, emotional, but definitely spiritual. And when these problems come, will we treat them the right way? Will we cling to Jesus Or will we flee to the Moabs of this life? I just wanted to share a story about a fellow I knew at Bible college called Josh. Uh, He had come to Bible college from having a a good job in the past. Uh, He was married with a young family, uh, a popular, friendly guy in his second year at Bible college. But in his second year at Bible college, he was actually converted to become a true Christian. Can you believe it? You see, he really had a spiritual problem. But he'd been treating all the wrong problems before that. He'd been fooling himself. He had a spiritual problem. And in his second year at college, it was solved as he truly came to know Jesus as Lord. Friends, do we have the self-awareness To confront our true problems, our deeper needs, our spiritual issues, our spiritual problems. Maybe sometimes it takes a friend to point it out to us. Well friends, our biggest problem in eternity is a spiritual problem. And it's been solved when Jesus died on the cross to reconcile us to God. So, when we face the various problems in the world and the various ways that they manifest themselves in our life and in our behavior, when these problems come, what lesson will we learn from Ruth chapter 1? Will we cling to Jesus or will we flee to the Moabs of this world? Let's cling to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Lord, we thank you that all these things that have been written in the past have been written to teach us so that through the endurance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Lord, thank you that we sit on this side of the cross. We see your full revelation and your full kindnesses and your full faithfulness in the Lord Jesus Christ. O oh Lord, help us to hang on to him and to trust in him, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.